for us as individuals by being self-centered, by just sort of being centered on myself, my suffering, my situation, my condition, we really have a problem of seeing how in the truly bigger universal picture, all this is unfolding moment to moment. You know, when we see the suffering in the world of all this killing or animals dying or, you know, global warming, anything, you know, when we start being more and more aware of this, what is this I, you really see that there's a connection in everything I do moment to moment, how I use the water, how I burn plastic or how I kill or how I'm, you know, killing somebody's good feeling by bad speech. Kathy Park, Jita Popesanim, began practicing Zen in 1999 while living in London. She began studying with the Quantum School after visiting the Zen Center in Paris. Over the following 20 years, she lived in Zen centers and temples in the United States, Hong Kong, and Korea, where she sat several 90-day retreats. She is currently an administrative director at Musangsa Temple in Korea and the coordinator of the International Initiative Project for the Global Quantum School of Zen. Kathy lives in Korea with her husband, Anjay Stech, Jita Popesanin. Together they lead the Quantum Soul Zen Group and the Day John Zen Group. Kathy is also an art and design consultant, focusing particularly on traditional Korean crafts to help artists become sustainable. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I'm your host, Ian Whitemar. This podcast is sponsored by the Providence Zen Center, a residential Buddhist community in Cumberland, Rhode Island. The Providence Zen Center provides opportunities for short and long-term residency and holds retreats from one day to three months. For more information, please visit ProvidenceZen.org. Kathy, I was watching a video of you yeah, online, and you were you were telling a, a story. You were recounting some of the questions that you get as a teacher, and I believe you said the the most common question or comment, anyway that you get is that I have no time. I have no time to practice. And I loved your answer because what you said was you do have time or we all have time. What we have is a problem of clarity. Yes. And I'm wondering if you can say what you mean by that. Well, it's coming from my personal experience, Um, especially because um, having lived actually in Zen centers and Um, practicing for some time. When you're in a Zen center, the situation is set up so you have to follow the schedule, like wake up at the designated time, you know, uh, go for practice, um, you know, meal times are set, everything in your daily structure is sort of set. And it comes actually from the traditional Buddhist monastic structure. So it's easy for us to practice when we go to a retreat or go to the Zen center um, or live in a Zen center. 
But what I realized is that for most of us as ordinary people, we have very, very uh, challenging schedules. So some people work eight hours a day. Some people work 12, 14, 16 hours a day. Um, some people have, you know, night schedules. Some people are early morning risers. So even after practicing for a long time, I realized uh, it's not so simple to have just one fixed way of practicing. Um, but we all have to look at our own personal individual situation to see where is it that I can practice? So we tend to think, oh, I can only practice when I go to the Zen center, or I can only practice when I have time to sit on my cushion. So we try to make a schedule. But the truth is, practicing meditating is not just when we're on the cushion. It's actually more vital in a way what we are doing the moment we get up from the cushion. So that's what I meant by clarity. And then recognizing once we realize, oh, practice is moment to moment to moment. What am I doing right now? Is it clear? Is it compassionate? Is my mind moving? Am I emotional? Or can I do something that really benefits the situation? Um, and that's something that's happening moment to moment in our life, and definitely not just on the cushion. So when we're on the cushion, it's really the time to uh, settle and digest whatever is happening in ourselves. The crux of the matter for us as uh, lay practitioners and I use the word lay because we're not monastics, um, is how do we really use this practice in our daily life? So um, if we really look, then in our daily life, there are many moments we can practice. You know, if you're in the office and you have to go to the toilet, stand up, walk to the toilet, do practice, do your awareness, uh, do your mantra, have a great question. Who's walking right now what am i doing just now so that's what i um kind of meant by the clarity it's really about waking up in any situation we're in so i you know sometimes i get these comments from people who say things like well i'm in my garden mm, um yes i don't need i don't need to do formal practice or you know these other there's a resistance or, or actually like a justification that happens when people say, oh, well, I'm in my garden. That's where I find my, my, I do my practice. And I just, there's part of me <laughs> that <laughs> resists that, that story because I find, you know, more formal practice to be of a different character or quality. Mm -hmm. And yes, maybe, maybe I'm prejudicial and, but maybe I'm not, I, it, what what do people you know you must have heard that line i'm in my garden yeah or something similar <laughs> right yes yes i've heard it a lot <laughs> yeah even in my own head i hear it a lot <laughs> right so what do what do you say to people who say that to you well what is practice really um you know there's so many different kinds of practices <laughs> or we would say meditation, yeah. let's, if we get down to it. And um, it's a common thing that happens because actually that thought, like, oh no, gardening is my practice. 
if that thought comes from having an option, like I choose to garden as opposed to choosing to formal practice, that's a like-dislike mind. It has nothing mm. to do with meditation, practicing, sitting, or gardening. It's the mind that wants to choose something over the other. So that in itself is thinking, it's attachment. So we use even the idea of practicing to manifest our like-dislike, our discrimination. So already, as Zen Master would say, you've gone to hell. <laughs> mm. uh, but clarity comes from actually uh, being clear and believing in ourselves is very simple. It only comes from choosing or deciding to do something and then just doing it. That's what Zen Master Sung San was teaching us. Strong center means, having a strong center means, decide something, then just do it. Mm -hmm. So if we decided, I want to sit 10 minutes every day and then do my gardening, just do it. So sit 10 or 20 minutes, then go and do 100% gardening. But this mind is very tricky. So we say to ourselves, oh, but everyday mind is Zen. I hear this teaching somewhere or yeah. yeah, everything in my life is meditation. It's true, but not at the expense of your like, dislike, you know, choosing or one or the other. So uh, the common mistake for uh, meditators is this kind of thinking, this uh, mind that takes information and very quickly puts it into this discriminating mode, choosing like or dislike, right or wrong, good or bad, and then very quickly deciding, okay, this is my path. So that's what we call delusion. <laughs> mm. You know, I've heard you also talk about cause and result. Yes. And uh, you, you, in fact, gave your, your Inca talk, your, the... Inca, for those who don't know, is the the designation that you now can teach. Is that how you would describe it, or yes, you were giving the talk in Korea where you where you live, and you started with the, the creation of an alphabet some several hundred years earlier, which uh, then somehow <laughs> wove into you being there in that moment um, as someone who spoke it, and how fast like how fascinating cause and result really are on one level it seems so similar and it's so easy in the sense of oh yeah we can really see what's happening but you really chose an example that is over many many lifetimes and uh i'm wondering if you can say why uh, you sort of chose to frame it that way when you know most of the time it's framed as you know, if you, right? Yeah. If you don't mm -hmm. pick up your laundry, then you have a dirty room, or you know, it's just you know, it's it's something that's so direct. But really, it it seemed to indicate you were talking about a much bigger story. Yeah. Um, one time, a uh, a great Zen master said, um, "You take if you take away self centeredness, then cause and effect is very clear." So. When I heard that, it really kind of woke me up because 
for me, it just meant if you stop this incessant obsession of seeing, perceiving, and experiencing the world from this I, I, my, me, what we usually call this, this ego self, if we just stop doing that, then actually cause and effect is very clear. It means everything in the world with its uh, cause, you know, some seed has a condition and then the result appears. And it's very clear for us. There's no sort of personal um, emotion or I would say personal opinion invested in it. And so cause and effect being clear means we see the truth. But for most of us, we're actually seeing the world through, you know, sort of uh, distorted lenses. Um, I heard this great saying one time, uh, you know, somebody said, if you wear glasses that's covered with shit, what do you see? All you see is shit. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's like that. We all have our very strong opinions. Um, and maybe maybe most of those opinions are not even truly ours. They are coming from our upbringing, our social, cultural conditioning, our education, um, and et cetera. So when I gave this talk, it really hit me that um, for us as individuals, by being self-centered, by just sort of being centered on myself, my suffering, my situation, my condition, we really have a problem of seeing how in the truly bigger universal picture, all this is unfolding moment to moment. You know, when we see the suffering in the world of all this killing or animals dying or, you know, global warming, anything, um, you know, when we start being more and more aware of this, what is this I, you really see that there's a connection in everything I do moment to moment, how I use the water, how I burn plastic or how I kill or how I'm, you know, killing somebody's good feeling by bad speech. So um, we just become more aware of that. And that was my sense. And um, that talk was about um, how the Korean alphabet was invented. And it was invented at a time when uh, we could all, uh, Korea was uh, um, literate only through Chinese characters. So our whole history was dependent on China in that sense. Our culture was dependent on Chinese language, you know, written forms, and also philosophy. Um, Confucianism was the main, um, uh, I would say, social and um, secular religious structure of the time. And so many people were not able to read, but the new Korean alphabet gave freedom to so many people uh, because they were able to start reading and communicating and writing. So, you know, when we kind of really look back at ourselves, actually nothing that's happened in my life came just because only I did it. It's really uh, through all the continuous transmission of DNA and care and upbringing and love and compassion and also suffering. So we inherit all of it. And that's really where it came from. And I think Zen, at least in my experience, meditation uh, really helps us wake up to, I would say, the universal view.
So um, we often say in Zen, keep a mind which is vast, like space. You know, really, like you have your mind is truly unlimited when we really perceive our true nature. But moment to moment in our uh, name and form world, use it meticulously as the tip of a needle. It means moment to moment. What am I doing right now? How can I help you? Does that answer you somehow? Yeah, it's <laughs> in a long-winded way. No, no, it's it's re- it was. I just loved it because you know that you know we we we've heard that phrase probably from many teachers. Cause and effect are really are very clear. Um, yeah. But then, of course, when you span it over generations, it's like, whoa, wait, is it clear? Yeah. Um, but on another level, of course, it is like there is a real reason why I'm sitting where I'm sitting and where you're sitting, you know, why you're sitting where you're sitting. And, um, you know, part of that has to do with the choices that I've made since coming to the practice. Yes. And part of it has to do with the choices that, you know, my ancestors made. Which, you yeah. know, in a way brought me to the practice also. So Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Buddha said, uh, when you walk down the street, every man or woman that you come across that passes you by in a past life was your mother or your father. Uh-huh. You know, so then I would also be somebody else's mother or father or, you know, so that teaching in itself already you know, you know, we may not believe it ourselves if we don't have a experience, but when we hear that kind of teaching, it really makes you wonder, wow, like this interconnectedness in the universe, you know, everything is a reflection of the jewel that's like on the Indra's net, right? Mm-hmm. Any one reflection that changes reflects in myriads of other jewels. That's that's our life. And I, you know, yeah, the Buddhist teachings give those kind of analogies or teaching uh, words. But when we actually really look at our life, really perceive, it's true. <laughs> um, so the, the oh, I don't do my laundry, therefore I have dirty laundry. That's a very simple but true cause and effect. And when we recognize that in that microcosm, then you can see the whole picture, you know? Um, But I would say having this universal view is truly, truly important right now. And the reason is because we all understand the kind of suffering that's happening in the world right now, right? Yeah. So uh, that means have big mind, have a mind that's wide like space. So, in order to really have this perspective, we can train by looking at what is our vow. You know, what 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 really propels us? What what directs us in anything we do moment to moment? So if we can wake up with the dirty laundry, then we can wake up to the big picture at the same time. So um, I would say the heart of uh, the heart of our practice really comes from our intention and direction. So we call that having a Bodhi mind, mind to wake up to our true selves and, and with this clear perspective, help this world. I've heard you 
tell a story. I, I'm not sure if this line actually came from uh, Zen Master Sung San. So help me if I if I get it wrong. But you you told you recounted a story about a line that said, "We don't leave anyone behind," or "You don't leave anyone behind." Mm-hmm. And you sort of had heard the story, and then then there was a moment where you're like, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> um, and I'm wondering, well, one, if you could just clarify who who gave you that story, but also, you know, what it means for you now, just also in reference to what you just said, based on, you know, that we see the suffering of the world. And and also we see the suffering of the people who just come into the Zen centers, N- not yes, just the world, but just like on the daily level as well. Yes. And, yes. and what it means to, you know, say, commit to, vow to, not leave anyone behind. Mm-hmm. Um, that teaching really means in each moment, do whatever it is in front of you 100%. Um, that's what it really taught me. So actually, it was a teaching from Zen Master Song Hyang, Barbara hmm. Rhodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, because she, just very briefly to recant the story, um, she had come to Korea when we were having the whole world as a single flower conference. So there were about 200 of us, you know, going, visiting a few different temples. And so we arrived at this one temple and... We had to walk maybe 15, 20 minutes, you know, sort of past a bridge, beautiful gardens, you know, down to some part where there was a big hall and some big Korean monk was waiting to give us a talk. And, um, you know, everybody had come from very far away all around the world, traveled many hours. They were jet lagged. They were tired. They had to go to the bathroom. And so they were kind of making this slow procession, you know to this um, big hall and I was one of the guides and as people were coming one monk came down and said please please can you ask the group to hurry the the great monk is already there he's waiting so I was like okay okay so I was like kind of beckoning everyone to come quickly quickly and Bobby was coming up the master Sonia was coming up and she said Kathy we can't you know don't forget you know, Jean is very, very far away behind. You know, she has a broken foot. And then she looked at me and said, don't leave anybody behind. And she walked up. And her words kind of just hit me at that moment. Because in my mind, I had this sort of urgency. Like, I was a bit anxious. Like, everything, I want everything to go well. You know, I want to make sure people get there on time so this monk doesn't have to wait. And then her words just kind of stopped me and very quickly as I heard them, I totally relaxed and I put it all down, Mm. meaning I just let go and said, there's no need to be anxious. I'm not, nobody's going to scold me or condemn me for people being late. (laughs) And I just saw myself at that moment like, wow. That's what it means to be a bodhisattva, is Mm. to put down you, yourself. (laughs) And at that moment, I was like, I was facing towards Bobby as she was going up to her back, and I just did a standing bow. (laughs) Because Uh. I was like, there is a bodhisattva who's leading me the way. You know, don't leave anybody behind. So... 
Yeah, so whenever somebody comes into your Zen Center, do your best, 100%. Give your wholehearted attention in that moment. And we only have to do it moment to moment to moment, you know. And it's this, uh, again, I come back to the word clarity. How clear are we in this moment? That's all that matters. Zen Master Sung San would always say, this moment is clear. Your whole future is clear. This moment is not clear. Your entire life is not clear. <laughs> That's true. Yes, unfortunately. Isn't that great? I mean, yeah. it's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> we all try, though. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we try. Yeah. So one thing really important here is, again, what I go back to is this a bodhisattva vow, this bodhi mind, this mind that, um, you know, it's, it's this vow. It's this intention we, we decide for ourselves. Nobody else has to tell us what to do, and it doesn't work just because somebody tells us what to do. It's this vow that inside, we, when we can just relax and just return to that which is what we are, just ourselves, just as it is, then you really see, wow, I can be anything I really intend to be. And there's nothing greater than being able to really be clear and have the energy and the um, wherewithal to really help whatever is the situation in front of us. You know, I haven't thought about this. This is the first time I'm thinking about this, but given what you just said. Uh, I interviewed a Zen master in California um, a couple weeks ago. His name is James Ford. And yes. mm -hmm. he talked about, uh, in his latest book, he'd, he'd done sort of his interpretation of the Heart Sutra, not like a translation, but what the Heart Sutra had meant to him over the course of his lifetime. Yes. And how, you know, how he interpreted it. And it just dawned on me listening to you that, you know, we say the Bodhisattva vow, depending on the school that there's a, you know, different version of it, but we repeat it over and over again. If you're in a Mahayana tradition, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, but maybe the thing that we retreat, repeat isn't exactly the vow, right? Maybe the vow is, you know, for you, it's, I don't leave anyone behind. And I, and I say that just because, you know, a few years ago, I remember being out in this, you know, I won't go into all the details, but there was a, a guy who just turned to me and said, yeah, we can go help him. And it was my mind expanded in a way I'd never had happened before. And mm -hmm. of course, yeah. I've heard those words before, right? Yes. Yeah, we can go help him. And But I had had this hardness of heart <laughs> when mm -hmm. the guy turned mm -hmm. to me. And all of a sudden, everything was like, oh, right, we can go help him. And I've carried that story, like, truly, that's my bodhisattva vow. I say the other thing, which is the rote yes. thing, which is fine. I love saying it. But actually, in my heart lives this thing that says we can go help him or, you know, help whoever. Yes. And uh, I don't know, just sort of listening to you, it's like there's this moment where it comes across us if we're really trying to work with the bodhisattva vow that it it actually articulates itself in a way that becomes a story we share. Yes. Yeah. 
And it stays because you have a genuine experience of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, I yeah. mean, it could be that Bobby Rhodes doesn't even remember saying that to you. But for you... She didn't because I asked her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. For you, it's so clear about how important it was. Yes, yeah. She helped me wake up. Yeah, and that and that guy helped me wake up. Yeah. And well, uh, you know, so that's uh, he was your teacher, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why. Any, you know, when we really are attentive, when we really have this sincere quest, let's. I mean, that's really our practice, I guess. Um, when we ourselves have this uh, intention, the seed of intention already inside, and we make this effort, this, you know, keep this try mind moment to moment, then, yeah, everything becomes a great teacher in front of us, you know? Right. So you've practiced in Europe, in America, in Asia. Are you seeing the same thing across these continents? Are you, you know, you now engage people globally with this new online sangha for the quantum school? Is it similar? Is it different? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> uh, same and different. <laughs> Which one do you like? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, of course, everywhere culturally, there are lots of amazing interesting differences uh but you know as you know in any zen center you go to in the quantum school of zen around the world you will always have the same practice the, the same heart sutra we will chant in korean and then we would chant in um the native language right so i love that about our school that you know you can go to any center in the world and have the same practice connect to the same uh uh, direction with other practitioners, other Dharma friends. And uh, I love that so much. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I'm really in our school because I, as you probably know from my bio, I grew up in a lot of different countries and um, I never felt I belonged anywhere until I came to the quantum school of Zen. And I realized you don't have to belong anywhere, <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, very grateful to Zen Master Sung San. Um, honestly, as a you know, just to talk about my experience as a practicing person, as a Korean woman, layperson. When I did my first Kelche in Korea, it was a profound experience because never did I think until that moment that it was actually possible as a laywoman to practice in a temple doing a retreat with monks, nuns, laymen, and laywomen with the Zen master. I mean, this was like, nobody in Korea would have thought this was possible because it culturally wasn't um, for forever, for, for the longest time since Buddhist history here. So what our teachers and Master Sung San created was something truly revolutionary because he really fit the teaching of the Dharma with the, the situation of our time. And that's truly where this don't leave anyone behind experience came for me. I experienced that from our teacher. You know, he was a Korean monk, a Zen master, enlightened, and 
he could teach whoever he wanted, however he wanted, in the most elite way if he wanted to. But he had this great bodhisattva vow and he had this great enlightenment. So his love, compassion, and wisdom is um, undiscriminating. He truly lived the bodhisattva vow and he was a, a, a great example of it, not only in his teaching, but in his actions and his example and even the way he organized his teaching so that it can be transmitted exactly intact, you know, for all of us. So I find his example the uh, really like sort of shining example. And, and so I thought, okay, you know, this is it. This is the practice. And then having traveled and practiced and lived in different countries uh, where our centers are, you really see the the characteristic. Like in America, I just love all the teachers who've taught me how to truly believe in myself, you know. Mm. And um, in Europe, there is a very strong sense of trying mind. Mm. Um, many European students in our school have lived through difficult social, political, historical situations. And, you know, even where Zen centers were formed, in places like Poland or Russia or Lithuania, in not easy circumstances in the 1970s and 80s, you really see how people tried, you know, 50, 100 people sitting in a small apartment for a weekend, you know, doing strong human junction. When I hear those examples, it's really, really uh, heartfelt. And there's a strong sense of try mind from practitioners in Europe. And now that I'm back in Asia, where um, we have, obviously in Korea and also other countries in Asia where our centers are, there's strong Buddhist tradition. So uh, one aspect of Buddhist tradition is great love, great compassion. So there's tremendous generosity and compassion and acceptance. Um, so I'm learning that here, you know, how do you have compassion in different situations that are difficult and hard to accept for ourselves? So, yeah, there, there are so many things you can learn all the time um, if we really just try. So, Kathy, you've also been involved uh, in a new initiative for an online sangha with the Quantum School of Zen, which allows people to meet with teachers. And uh, I think there's even like a, a virtual sitting group. And I'm wondering how that's working. Uh, are, are people logging in? Are they coming for interviews? How does that, what's it like? What's the character like? Or what, what do you want to say about that online initiative? Well, uh, I'd like to say I'm actually very excited about it. Because, <laughs> um, because it's, amazing that um, many people are responding to it. Um, there are obviously many centers around the world in the Quantum School of Zen, but uh, there are also that much more, even more people who don't have access to practice or our teaching um, or connections. So the online Sangha is really the effort from our school to reach out to anyone who uh, not only is geographically far away from any Zen center, but also if they have disabilities or um, strenuating situations and conditions that don't allow them to easily get to a center to practice with a group. 
So we're providing online practice sessions. We have online Q&As, uh, webinars, live stream, as well as recorded. And now we just uh, started working on a new platform for um, curriculums and educational programs. So we're going to have a lot more things coming up. Uh, and we also give one-on-one -on -one koan interviews with a teacher. So there are about 11 teachers who are available around the world uh, who can connect with you at your uh, time zone that could work for both. And we're here to help you in your practice so that you could practice at home on your own, as well as um, help you find a center or a group or a community that you can connect with. So there are a lot of opportunities to practice online more than ever before. And I think it's also kind of an interesting shift. You know, the paradigm of practicing is also shifting dramatically with technology. And I think it's got its pros and cons, but um, we're very excited because it's really helping a lot of people. And it's so easy now to connect more online. You can come onto a live stream webinar, you know, any place, anytime. So take advantage of it. Just do it. <laughs> So as you were talking, I was thinking about some of these old stories where, you know, the, the guy crosses Korea for like two weeks to meet the, right, <laughs> the Zen yeah. master. And now it's like, wow. I, I mean, I, I mean, in so many ways, it's quite funny. I mean, I'm, you're, I think, in Seoul right now. And yes, I'm in yes. Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we're talking to one exactly. another. And yeah. Um, yeah, how the Dharma is being carried now is just very different. Yeah, everything is condensed in time, you yeah. know. The, definitely the person who traveled two, mo two months to find a Zen master just to get his koan. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a huge kind of, you know, catalyzer when you have that kind of effort. So definitely those elements are different. And um, we're going to have to find the ways to, you know, inspire students, I guess. Right. If their own suffering doesn't inspire them enough, then <laughs> right. we're going to have to find ways to do that. So we're very excited. I think all the teachers who are uh, teaching online are very excited, and I hope to meet many more people this way. Well, it, it also is interesting for me anyway, just as this world seems to be sort of uh, heading towards a crisis, right? Yes, we, have a, yes. we have a very big decision to make. <laughs> coming up as mm -hmm, a species mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. do we want to live in harmony with the planet or do we not and you know what is what is going to help us just as that's happening it's m even easier for us to find people who can help us live in harmony or find yes, people who yes. can help us uh with the suffering and uh you know, whether we make it in time or not, you know, I have no idea, but it's like, uh, here we are, this is the choice, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, that's where, again, um, I, I see that clarity is, is so important right now. Right. We have so many choices, uh, so many things, too much information, which you can access at your fingertips, you know. So people in general are too confused. They're overwhelmed and confused because there's too much information that they can't digest. So one um, last thing I want to mention is that 
Zen Master Sung San, many years, even before he passed away, actually in, in the 90s, 1990s, he used to say, you know, in the future, um, there's going to be a lot of people, this whole sector of society, which is science mind. And we see in, in society now that there's a tremendous uh, yeah. leaps in science, in technology. Everything in our daily life is being transformed moment to moment very quickly you know, because of technology and science, whether it's medicine, physics, whatever. Um, and then he said the, the second group of people will be the people who have mind power. But then he said, but the people who will do really well in these fast-changing times are the ones who can understand science, but also understand their mind. So right now, I think it's, uh, all the more important for us to really uh, develop our uh, clarity of consciousness because it will become more difficult. It will become more confusing and chaotic and there will be more suffering. So really to have uh, uh, clarity as well as uh, have the strength, the strong center so the mind is not easily moved by the fast transformations that are happening. Really vital right now. And of course, the ground of that mind has to be compassion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Kathy Park encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more about our teaching by visiting quantumsoul.org. She also gives interviews with the Quantum School of Zen's online Sangha, which is a great way to engage with teachers if you don't have a Zen center near you or if you have difficulty getting to a Zen center. Visit quantumzen.org online for information. A special thank you to our sponsor, the Provident Zen Center. If you would like to deepen your practice commitment, I encourage you to explore PZC's residential and retreat opportunities. You can find all of that information at ProvidenceZen.org. If you would like some guidance on how to meditate, there are some videos you can watch at ProvidenceZen.org videos. My name is Ian White-Marr. I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.